Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. My, my dear dad um, had cataracts and for a number of years he'd been putting up with these cataracts and you know how you, apparently your eyes go a little bit uh, misty and, and he decided that he would get these cataracts repaired. In November last year, he had one eye repaired. And um, I text Dad a few days after the surgery and um, said, Dad, how did, how did everything go? And he said, it was fantastic, a wonderful success. But gee, your mother is looking old. Um, and so he had a new uh, perspective. He had a new um, perception of Mum. I'm not sure how Mum felt about that, but um, nevertheless, it was a new uh, perspective, and I, I kind of hope that we get a new perspective this morning, as we uh, this morning, this evening, as we look at Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a, is a psalm that is known to so many of you, no doubt, and many of you will know it probably far better than than I do. But it's one of the most favourite psalms of Christians throughout the world, and many missionaries have taken this psalm with them to all corners of the earth. It's called the Soldier's Prayer. It's called the prayer of protection, it's been memorized, hymns and songs have been written about it. The words are well crafted and the imagery is, is amazing and the message is so powerful. And it even follows the preferred method of making a speech where you tell them what you want to say and then you tell them and then you tell them what you said. Psalm 91 does that and you'll see how that works as, as we go through it uh, this evening. So despite you all knowing it, you're stuck with it. And I kind of regretted choosing Psalm 91 because you know it probably so well. And I should have chosen some obscure passage of scripture that you would have all gone away with a revelation this morning. So I'm desperately hoping that God gives us all a fresh revelation as we spend some time together this evening. So let's read it together. Psalm 91 from the NIV version. It says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge and his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. And I will deliver him and honor him and with long life I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. You know, we, we can't prove who wrote Psalm 91. It's uh, apparently common that if the name isn't noted against the chapter, then we can assume that it was written by the person who wrote the previous chapter, in which case it would, it would be Moses. But there are an equal number of arguments that suggest it was, it was David. And as I said this morning, 
probably lacking a little bit of theological uh, presence, I don't really care who wrote it because it's a wonderful scripture that declares God's amazing love. And for those that need shelter from the storm, our God is there. For those who've lost trust in everything around them, God says, I will be a refuge and I'll be a strength. And when temptation and fear hits, our God wraps us in his wings. And when we're feeling let down or we're feeling betrayed, God's faithfulness will be our shield. And when we're vulnerable, he commands his angels to guard us. And I love the last few verses because it cries out God's love because he loves me says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him and I'll be with him in trouble and I'll deliver him and I'll honor him and with long life I'll satisfy him and show him my salvation. It's a wonderful scripture, isn't it? A wonderful bunch of promises, of declarations, of assurances. You know, my, my wife often tells me that the hardest part about cooking a meal is actually deciding what to have. Some ladies are nodding, get that. And I kind of feel that way in Psalm 91. There's so much content. There are so many things that we could focus on, that we could think about. Uh, By the way, Sally will also tell you that that cooking dilemma is much less of a dilemma for me. Um, I can cook um, eggs, or I can cook steak, or I can actually cook eggs and steak. Um, or whatever's on the East Star takeaway menu. Uh, so it's much less of a dilemma. But there is a dilemma for me this evening as we look at all of the ingredients uh, that is contained in, in Psalm 91. But there is a bit in Psalm 91 that I really believe is the, is the key, is the, is the message of Psalm 91. It says, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And within the second word of the first verse, we strike a critical part of this whole chapter. It sets the scene for the consequences of our decisions. It sets the scene for the consequences of the actions that we take. You see, this word dwell means much more than just an occasional visit to a friend. It's much, much more than that. The Hebrew word for dwell is your shab. And that that word means to sit. It means to be constant, it means to be consistent, it means to be home. And already I'm challenged by this whole thing. And I'm also reminded of another psalm in Psalm 27 verses 4 to 5, which says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. The one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. And I mention that this word dwell is critical because it sets the scene for the consequences of of our actions, of our decisions. What we've read here in Psalm 91 is actually a conditional promise. It says, whoever dwells, in the shelter of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It therefore requires us to take an action, to make a response, to answer a call. And so I'm challenged. And and maybe you are too. How often do we dwell in His presence 
as opposed to dwelling in some self-pity and some self-absorption and taking some time that is, that is meaningless and frivolous only to pay a quick visit to the mercy seat of God before we're off dwelling on something else probably frivolous and, and meaningless. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher and writer, wrote, every child of God looks towards the inner sanctuary and the mercy seat, yet all do not dwell in the most holy place. They run to it at times, enjoy occasional approaches, but they do not habitually reside in the mysterious presence. And I do wonder in this age, in this, this moment of time, if the devil's greatest tool is distraction. A world where space is filled with noise, where our minds are flooded with stuff, where success can be sometimes demonstrated by saying that we're busy or that our diaries are, are full. But I believe that God is calling us to stop hanging around the fringes of his presence, to stop making excuses, to, to stop ticking some spiritual checklist, but rather to be intentional, to be determined, to be habitual, and acknowledge that a loving God is crying out, come dwell with me. Come sit. Come home. No wonder in, in Psalm 46 it says, be still and know that I am God. And no wonder in Matthew 6, 6 does it say, but you when you pray go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And you know, I also wonder if, if somehow the drive for individualism follows close behind the list of the devil's armory. We're going against the flow has become somewhat heroic and, and encouraged, and this perceived ability to build a wall of impenetrable independence is, is applauded, where a go-it-alone mentality at the expense, at the expense of others is, is seen as visionary. And meanwhile, we have a loving God is crying out, come dwell with me. Come sit. Come home. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. You know, there are other translations that instead of the word shelter, they refer to the phrase, the secret place. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. And this reference to the secret place is found in many passages of Scripture. In fact, God has always had a secret place, a place where his glory could be felt. His majesty was demonstrated to the Israelites whenever he was worshipped in the tent and in the, tab in the temple and in the tab tabernacle. And this temple was, as you're aware, divided into three parts. And one of those parts was called the Holy of Holies, the secret place. There was a place where the high priest could only enter into during the Day of Atonement. He could only enter into the secret place on the Day of Atonement. But it was a, sec a sacred place to meet with a triune God. But the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ brought a whole different dynamic to the secret place. At that time, the temple veil was separated and the Holy of Holies became available to everyone. It gave direct access to everyone who calls themselves followers of, of Christ. This most secret place that was available only to the high priest was, 
available to all who call themselves Christians through the death and the resurrection of our Jesus Christ on the cross. So this secret place, is a, it, it's important. Mary um, B.M. Duncan writes, this almighty friend God has admitted his chosen one, us, to his secret place. It's almost too wonderful to be true. It's almost too presumptuous a thought for such creatures as we are to entertain. But he himself permits it, desires it, teaches us to realize that it is communion to which he calls us. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And she goes on to say, he wishes us to know him and by his word and by his spirit, he puts himself before us. Ah, it is not his fault if we do not know him. It is our own carelessness. And you know, it's, it's really interesting to me that the very one that Satan tempted using the words from Psalm 91 became the only way for us to enter into the secret place, into the Holy of Holies. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Look, I, I know we've spent a while looking at this very early part of Psalm 91, but it's important. It's important because Jesus Christ made a costly way for us to enter in, an unimaginable sacrifice. And I strongly believe that God is desiring a response to this invitation, a response to this call, this invitation that allows us to be with a God that is so wonderfully described in the space of, of two verses. In the space of those two verses, we hear the majestic names of God described, the very essence of God. It says he is the most high. It says he is the almighty. It says he is the Lord. It says he is my God. And the, the first name, the most high, is the Hebrew word Elyon, and it suggests a supreme monarch, one who is above all things. And the name signifies God's majesty. It signifies his sovereignty. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about sovereignty a little bit later. And the second name that we see in Psalm 91 is almighty. It's translated from the word Shaddai. And Shaddai has many meanings. But in this verse, it primarily suggests a mighty, powerful God. A God who is strong beyond our imagination. More than capable to supply our every need. And the third name that we see is the Lord. Translated from the word Yahweh, it's the personal name for God. And it was revealed to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 2. It says, and God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. And the significance of this name is that it represents a relatable, personal God. A God who seeks for us to know him on a deep and personal level. And the fourth name, my God, comes from the word Elohim. His name first appears in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 and in verse 1. It says, In the beginning, God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. And when Elohim occurs in Scripture, it's typically translated as God. And it, in fact, it's where we get our word theology from. In Greek, it's, it's theos. So when we read all of these words, uh, these descriptions of our God, we can really see that in essence, the psalmist is proclaiming that the God in whom he trusts is the same God who created all things. He is the first and he is the last and he is the God who is forever faithful to his creation. And this very same most high God, this almighty God, this Lord of all, my God, Elohim, creator of the heavens and the earth, 
says, come dwell with me. Come sit. Come home. Because you see, it's only when we're close that we can rest in his shadow and in the midst of these wonderful descriptions, wonderfully powerful descriptions of our God. And it's only when we're close that our God can wrap us in his wings. And I find this juxtaposition of the strength and character of our God and the tenderness of this God that wants to wrap us in our wings just so wonderfully described in Psalm 91. In National Geographic many years ago, there was a, a story written that said after a forest fire in Yellowstone National Park, forest rangers began their trek up a mountain to assess the inferno's damage. And one ranger found a bird literally petrified in ashes, perched like a grey statue on the ground. At the base of a tree, somewhat sickened by the eerie sight, he knocked over the bird with a stick, and when he struck it, three tiny chicks scurried from under the wings of their dead mother. And what must have happened was that this loving mother, when she became, became aware of the impending disaster, carried her offspring, offspring to the base of the tree and gathered them under her wings, instinctively knowing that the, that the toxic smoke would rise. And she could have flown to safety, but had refused to abandon her babies. And when the blaze had arrived and the heat had singed her small body, the mother had remained steadfast because she was willing to die. But those chicks under the cover of her wings lived. A wonderful description of the tenderness of our God. I've um, got a few faults. In fact, the electric guitarist, Emma, might um, be able to fill you in on what those look like after the service if you want to have a chat with her. Look, I've actually got quite a few faults, but one of them is my desire to have certainty. And I shared this morning that others that have preached before me during the summer series, they've got their flash laptops and, and iPads and and I've got this bit of paper with some notes written on it um, because what happens if the iPad fails? So I seek certainty, fear of what will occur. And maybe it's my finance training and maybe it's my leadership training that, that tells me that my actions all have consequences. And the words that I speak have consequences. And I tend, therefore, to think and work in a way that endeavours to ensure that I've got all the all the risks mitigated, all the, the possible outcomes thought about. And I'm sure many of you here have fear in one form or another. But when I, when I really look at this psalm and when I take time to understand what the psalmist is saying, I see the psalmist saying that because I have made God my dwelling place, because he is my secret place, because I understand the whoness of our God, the consequences are that I will not fear the terror of night. I won't fear those hardships or those dangers or the conspiracies that rise up against me because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And I won't fear the arrow that flies by day, those persecutions, those words that are spoken against me, those words that assault my character those wounds of people's words. And I won't fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, those difficulties that are planned or hatched to bring me down in the dead of night, nor will I fear the plague that destroys at midday, those insults that would seek to cut us down. And then we have this word of confidence in verses seven and eight, and Eugene Peterson puts it so well. He says, even though others succumb all around you, 
Drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze you. You will stand untouched, watch it all from a distance, watch the wicked turn into corpses. Look, I, I want to be really, really clear here. This, this whole psalm doesn't mean that we'll be immune to the way the world operates. Not only is the psalm about a call to dwell, this psalm is an insight into the sovereignty of our God. God will either choose to remove us from dangerous circumstance, it says that he will remove us from the fowler's snare in, in verse 3, and I'm confident that God has removed me from many situations where had it not been for his grace, I would have been in trouble, and I'm sure it's happened to you as well, and I'm sure you've got wonderful, miraculous stories that are just so miraculous that they couldn't be coincidence. So God will choose to remove us from those situations or he will walk with us in times of trouble. This is not a promise of immunity. Let me tell you a couple of stories. A Roman centurion in Luke chapter 7 sends for Jesus. His servant is, is very ill. And he sends for this Jesus that he has heard about. And he asks that he come and that he heal his servant. And Jesus says, I'll come to your house. And the centurion says, no, no, you, you, you don't need to come into the house. A Jew into the house of a Gentile, that's, that's not necessary. You, you're a rabbi. You're the preeminent Jewish leader of our time. There's no need for you to come into the house. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus did. And the servant was. And then we have probably the greatest apostle of all time, Paul. And he writes in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. On one hand, this Roman centurion that had heard about Jesus. On the other hand, maybe the greatest apostle of all time pleaded with God for three, uh, three times to be to be healed, appealing for a miracle, and he didn't get it. I, I don't know a lot, but I know this. I know that a God is a good God. I know that his will for us is always good. I know that he is never diminished in power. I know that there is no limitation placed upon our God. His arm is never too weak. His arm is never too short. He's not some senile God that has forgotten his promises to his people. What he can do for us is never in question. But there are times that we must humble ourselves before his sovereignty, Elion. In fact, it's very clear that we're going to go through some stuff. Because it says in verse 15 that I will be with him in trouble. In the night, in the day, in the darkness, at midday, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, always. You see, the secret is not to get what you want from God. The secret is to become who God wants you to be. And just like he said to Paul, he says to us, 
my grace is sufficient for you. Let, let me bring this to a close. When I fell in love with Sally many, many years ago, young 19-year-old decided it was time to declare my love for her. And I thought about what I'd say, and I thought about where I'd say it, and I thought about what she'd say to me back. Play it all out in your mind, and eventually I got brave and took a deep breath and said, Sally, I love you. But you know when those, there's a gap before the response happens? You know that when that happens, something's not going quite like you planned. And the seconds just started to tick by and they just seemed like minutes before Sally responded to my declaration of love. And the words that she uttered will be always in my heart and in my mind. She said, that's nice. <laughs> so I said, Sally, I love you. And then there was this big gap and then the response was, this, that's nice. But God's response is so much different. When we declare our love to our God, it says, because you love me, because you have made me your dwelling place, because you declare me as your refuge and your strength, I will deliver you. I will set you on high. I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you, and I will honor you, and I will satisfy you with long life, and I will show you my salvation. And the same promise that was given to Abraham 1,000 years before the psalm was even written in Genesis 15 verse 1, says, don't be afraid, Abraham. I myself am your shield. I myself am your very great reward. And this very same promise that was given to Abraham is the same promise that is given to us today and forever. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I said earlier that I was challenged. I am challenged by this. And so I'm going to ask that you respond with me to a God that is crying out by saying, God, I will come. I will dwell. I will sit. I will make you my home. Nick, I'm wondering if you could bring the musicians up. Dear God, I want to ask that you forgive us for the times that we pay a quick visit to your presence, to your secret place to your holy of holies because the sacrifice that enabled us to do that was so, so great. We declare that you are our refuge and you are our strength. We thank you that you are the most high God. We thank you that you call us your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.